Okay, I've been told I'm live, so I guess y'all could probably hear me if I didn't have this mic on, but uh, that's why I wasn't, I would have sung along with Mark, not that I can sing like Mark, but I was live back there, so uh, thank you for that, Mark, it was a blessing. And we do have a new couple here, I, didn't, I shook their hands before and didn't get their names, so I apologize for that, but uh, just so they know. Our pastor is in Barbados, I guess it's Barbados, right? Is that where they are? At a conference, so uh, I'm uh, pinch hitting for him this morning. So uh, we do want to pray. I think they're coming back tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday. Okay. I was two or three days off. I was in that range. So anyway, for the new 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 uh, visitors, if you don't like what you hear today, at least come back next week when the actual pastor is uh, speaking. <clears throat> today we're going to be talking about uh, I don't t- title messages really, but uh, if I titled it, I'd say a heavenly land or in the heavenlies. If you want to give it a title, like I say, I don't typically title messages. <clears throat> and for most of the part, we'll be in uh, the book of Ephesians, but we'll be as normal jumping around from passages to passages and uh, trying to, as I've said before, run like a scalded dog. That's a good southern term for a Hoosier, right? Wanda and I always say, good morning, Hoosier, when we're greeting one another. But uh, uh, even the, I moved here in 75, and whoever I went to high school or college with still calls me Yankee because I came from Indiana, even though I've been down here for over 40 years now. But, but anyway, as believers, as Christians, we have a heavenly calling, a heavenly hope, a heavenly inheritance, a heavenly citizenship, heavenly blessings, and a heavenly battle. So that's why we're focused on uh, Ephesians this morning, because uh, five times in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he uses that phrase that's literally from the Greek, in the heavenlies. It's not that in your English translations, but it's literally used that five times. Uh, and that first one we said we had a heavenly calling, and you can see that in Hebrews chapter 3. So like I say, if you follow along. Last time I spoke, I brought my iPad up here, and I cheated and didn't have to flip through my Bible. I just boom, boom, boom like that, and was there at, at the, all the passages, but today I'm going to be flipping through the, my uh, Bible. <clears throat> In Hebrews chapter 3, we'll start verse 1, obviously. Said, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house, For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. 
Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence in the boast of our hope, hope firm unto the end. So verse 1 there says, Therefore, holy brethren, the writer of Hebrews, partakers of a heavenly calling. So the believers have a heavenly calling. The second one we talked about was a heavenly hope. We'll have to turn to Colossians chapter 1 for that. Colossians chapter 1. In verse 5, it says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, and in the Greek, the article is actually there. I mean, uh, in that, it's the word of the truth in verse 5 there, the gospel. So the believers have a heavenly hope. We see in Colossians 1.5, in Peter, in 1 Peter, he calls it a living hope. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. So first of all, as we said, Christians have a heavenly calling, and we also have a heavenly hope, a heavenly inheritance. We can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Believers have a heavenly calling. They have a heavenly hope. They have a heavenly inheritance. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, to obtain an inheritance. Jump back to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There's that phrase I was talking about. We have a heavenly hope. Peter calls it a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved where? In heaven for you. We also have heavenly citizenship. Turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a heavenly citizenship. Actually, in the Greek, that's the Greek word translated citizenship is polytume or polytuma. For, you know, forgive me for my, if I'm mispronouncing the Greek term, but what do you think is transliterated, uh, that word transliterated into English would be polytuma. Politics, Right. So a more literal translation could be our, the believer's political sphere of activity should be in the heavenlies. Right? Our political sphere of activity should be in the heavenlies. Sometimes that's not real popular to talk about, especially in an election year. But anyway... Believers also have a heavenly blessings. 
Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 again. Ephesians chapter 1, which is where we're going to park here in a little bit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, heavenly places in Christ, it says, but literally it's in the heavenlies in Christ. So we have heavenly blessings. And then lastly, I said we have a heavenly battle. So turn to stay in Ephesians, but turn to 6, chapter 6, verse 11. We'll start in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenlies, or in heavenly places. So we have a heavenly battle or a heavenly foe. Right? We can see from the Old Testament where Satan... And our brother Don Burton, back when we were, uh, me and Mark and Don used to teach the Brian Bible class at our other church. But Don had done a little chart, which I still have it, about the uh, how the government of God's universe is set up. And, of course, the government of the earth is in a fallen state because Satan sought to exalt himself. And so he was uh, disqualified, but he still rules. He's the ruler of this a or world at this present time. So any worldly rulers on this earth are actually ruling. The heavens do rule, right? So God rules over all, but any ruler on this earth currently ruling is ruling through a rebel ruler, Satan and his fallen angels that followed him in his sin. So we have a heavenly battle because that's where our foe resides. We see that in Job and other places in the Old Testament. That's where Satan and his fallen angels reside in the heavens or in the heavenlies. So once again, Christians have a heavenly calling. They have a heavenly hope, heavenly inheritance, heavenly citizenship, heavenly blessings. And they should be involved in a heavenly battle against a foe that resides in the heavens and I said it's in the heavenlies literally from the Greek and earlier I said Paul uses that phrase five times in the book of Ephesians and that's where we're going to sort of focus our some of the the message and we're also going to focus more on that heavenly battle that last one we mentioned He uses the expression five times. Two times he's talking about the Christian's position. And that's in view in verse one. I mean, chapter one, verse three and chapter two, verse six. So if you go in chapter one, verse three, we already uh, read that, but we'll read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, in Christ. He's talking about the Christian's position. Chapter 2, verse 6, it says, 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him where? In the heavenlies, in Christ Jesus. So two of the times he uses that phrase, he's talking about the Christian's position in Christ in the heavenlies. Two other times he's talking about Satan and his angels. If you go to verse chapter 3, verse 10, it says, So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities, where? In the heavenlies. Well, who's the ruler and authorities in the heavenlies? We just said that. Remember, Satan was originally, Lucifer was originally placed in God's universe over this earth as the ruler, and he had a bunch of subordinate rulers underneath him. Well, though though he uh, is disqualified, he continues to rule, and so do the fallen angels that that followed him. So they reside in the heavenlies. Also, you can see that in chapter 6, verse 2. No, I'm sorry, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenlies. And then the last time it's referring, uh, he uses the phrase in the heavens, it's referring to Christ's position at the right hand of God. And that's back in chapter 1. Verse 20, chapter 1, verse 20 of Ephesians, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies. So five times in Ephesians, Paul uses that phrase in the heavenlies. Five different times. So we'll see, as we said, we're going to stop and sort of camp out in Ephesians for a while. Ephesians begins back in verse one, chapter 1, verse 3, revealing the blessing awaiting Christians, where? In the heavenlies. And then it ends in chapter 6 by revealing a present warfare that confronts Christians on a daily basis against Spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. So it begins talking about blessings that await us, but it ends talking about the battle that confronts us on a daily basis. So we'll can experience present and future blessings, but obviously all this points towards that coming day that we've talked about. That coming age, right? All of the scripture points to that seventh day that lay out ahead of us, the messianic kingdom. So, uh, you know, the old phrase, pay it forward, pay it forward, doesn't mean we're excluded from present blessings. If we engage in the battle against the foe, we get present blessings in this dispensation, but ultimately we're going to receive those blessings and we're shooting to pay it forward for that time when we, uh, we hope to rule and reign with Jesus Christ in his coming kingdom. And that is the hope that is mentioned 
time and time again in Scripture. The hope, we don't hope for what we already have, right? So just as Jerry, if you were here in the Sunday school lesson, was talking about the aorist, the present, and the perfect tense in the Greek, and we're not going to get into Greek grammar lesson, but uh, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, as in Acts 16.31, that's in the aorist tense, so that's a point in time punctiliar action. And it can't ever be changed. So once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's settled. You're a believer. So, but uh, that's the past action or the point in time punctiliar action. But we're talking about paying it forward in the future. Ruling and reigning with Christ. Look in Luke. When we talk about laying up your treasure in heaven. Turn to Luke. You could find it in Mark and in Matthew, but remember, Alan's preaching through Mark right now, so we'll, let, we'll go to Luke instead. We're talking about paying it forward. <clears throat> Luke chapter 12. Verse 21. So the man who stores up treasure for himself, and this is the adverse of that, if you don't pay it forward. <laughs> so as, as is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Go back to verse 20 so you get a little better flow of that. Well, let's go all the way back. This is all the talk about covetousness. Let's go back to verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. We're all talking about family, faith, and foes this morning, if you want an alliteration of uh, different things. But here's one brother that went to another brother and said, Tell my brother, uh, tell, went to the crowd, said to, uh, to the teacher, Jesus Christ, said, Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive, and he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And everybody's familiar with this parable. Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger bigger barns, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come, so take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man, verse 21, who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Continue on to verse 22. So then he turns and says to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, Do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. 
Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, nor have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. And we get all the way down, of course, to the the famous verse, verse 31. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So where is our focus supposed to be? And it's not supposed to be about... And once again, I'm not saying you can't have a nice house and nice cars and wear nice clothes. I'm not saying that. But our focus can't be on that. Like on my career. I want to be the best at whatever. I want to build up a career and do this or that. Or I want to, you know, have this. I want to have that. You know, and i got to attain this. And i got to attain that. You know, in this life. Just like this farmer, successful farmer was. He was worried about building bigger barns to hold more stuff, and then he had so much stuff, he said, man, I'm just going to sit back now, take it easy. And God said, hey, tonight your life's going to be over, then who's going to own your stuff? You know, the old adage, you know, you never see a hearse followed by a U-Haul trailer. Can't take it with you, right, they say. So you better pay it forward. Right? Better pay it forward. Luke chapter 12, verse 33 and 34. Following that, we'll start in 31 again. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which don't wear out. An unfailing treasure, where? In heaven, where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Once again, I'm not proponent. Don't say, well, Jeff said to sell everything I got. That's not what I'm saying. You, you know the, the comparison here is what it's talking about. It's where your heart attitude. You know, we all those, know those different, you know, guys that talk and they, they get a following and then they say they know the date that this is the time when the apocalypse is going to, or when the end of time. And then their followers and they all, we've heard of those groups, they all sell everything they got and they go up and sit down on a mountain and, then the date passes and they're sitting there. <laughs> right? So that's not what I'm saying, but what we're talking about is your heart attitude and paying it forward. <clears throat> Luke chapter 18, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to them, One thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure where? In heaven. And come, follow me. I was taught, in past messages, you've been talking about the shepherds and the, old, you know, the, shepherds, the leaders in Israel not being the proper shepherd. And shepherding the flock properly. And uh, so that's what we're going to focus on 
you say, Jeff, well, how do I pay it forward? How do I pay it forward? And so we'll go back to that last passage in Ephesians chapter 6. Because we said we're going to concentrate on that passage in the heavenly battle that we're supposed to be engaged in on a daily basis. Ephesians chapter 6. And I stole this little quote here from... There can be no future occupation of the heavenly land apart from a present warfare against the enemy. Let me repeat that. There can be no future occupation of the land that heavenly land that we're talking about, apart from a present warfare against the enemy. And like I said earlier, if you're in the warfare, you will receive blessings in this present dispensation, but ultimately we're paying it forward and we want to receive that ultimate blessing of that heavenly inheritance of ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ in his coming kingdom. But unless you want to, unless you on a daily basis engage the enemy and the proper enemy, then there won't be any future occupation of that heavenly land. Turn to 2 Timothy. I fooled you. I said we were going to stay in Ephesians, but we got to jump over to 2 Timothy. Then we'll come back to Ephesians. Because we're going to talk about, you also, not only do you have to engage the enemy on a daily basis in that heavenly battle against a heavenly foe, but you, according to Timothy, have to do it lawfully. Or you've got to play by the rules, as we'd say when I was playing sports all those years. You got to play by the rules. Second Timothy chapter two, verse four and five. Well, start back in verse three. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Whose are we? Remember, you've been bought with a price. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Or some translations call that strive lawfully. (laughs) You got to play by the rules. And who sets the rules? Right? Where do you find the rules? In this book. It's the only place you can find them. 
So you not only have to engage in that battle against a heavenly foe, but you got to do it according to the rules. As some of you know, I've been, most of my career, I've been in sales in the equipment industry. I rent and sell construction equipment. And so I also have to be a trainer and train on, you know, like aerial work platforms, the man, big man lifts or whatever. OSHA, that government agency, <laughs> requires that anybody that's going to operate a man lift or anything has to have gone through training. And one of those requirements also after the training is that anybody that's operating a man lift or up in a man lift basket has to have on a harness and a lanyard and they have to be hooked off to the proper spot in that basket. And that's called fall restraint. That's actually supposed to keep you in that basket if something were to happen. The railing around you is your protection. The harness and lanyard you put on, or required to put on, is supposed to keep you in that basket if something were to happen. And we always say there's a proper way to put on your harness and lanyard in an improper way. And one of the main things we talk about in the training is if you put on your harness and strap it on and you got your lanyard on and all your harness on properly, you're not going to be comfortable. If you're comfortable, you're not wearing it right. That's basically what we say. Because <laughs> you got to strap it around here and it's got to be right on your chest and you got leg straps that come through and you strap it around your legs. And if you comfortable in the thing, you're not wearing it right. So that's the same thing we're going to see. You go back to Ephesians chapter 6. We have to put on our armor for the battle. So if you think you're engaged in the battle on a daily basis and you think you're fighting according, but you're comfortable, (laughs) you're probably not engaged in the battle, first of all. You probably haven't adorned yourself properly with your armor if you're comfortable. Or you're fighting against the wrong foe. You're not fighting against the heavenly foe. You're not fighting in a heavenly battle if you're comfortable. So now we can turn back to Ephesians chapter 6. Go back to verse 10, 610. Remember we said he starts in chapter 1 talking about the heavenly blessings for the believer. Then he ends talking about that heavenly battle against a heavenly foe. And remember that statement that I took from somebody else. There can be no future occupation of the land apart from a present warfare against the enemy. If you're not willing to go to battle, right? If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us before the Father. And in denying him, that means that's your refusal to suffer with him. Because if you engage yourself in the battle against that heavenly foe, that heavenly battle, there's going to be some suffering. 
So once again, if you're comfortable, <laughs> you're not wearing it right. Ephesians 6, chapter, uh, verse 10. We'll read through the whole, down through the, probably verse 18. Or <clears throat> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And if you look that word not up in the Greek, it means not. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that out there since Jerry started the Greek thing back in Sunday school. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, or in the heavenlies, literally. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and have... Having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert. With all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And I've, you know, heard a lot of messages on Ephesians 6. Mark actually preached through, I think, or taught through Ephesians and actually taught in this pastor. It's probably been quite a few years ago in the Berean class. But obviously you have what I've heard preachers before talk about. You have all those parts of the armor were defensive except for which offensive part did you have? The sword. And uh, when I was playing ball, uh, my college coach said I was all offense, no defense, which is not true. I wouldn't have got to get on the floor if I didn't play any defense. But uh, the only offensive weapon mentioned in this passage is the sword, which the sword is the word of God. <clears throat> so you have to have a you have to search this book frontwards and backwards, compare scripture with scripture, remember spiritual things with spiritual, and be able to acquire and apply this word of God to be able to engage in the battle on a daily basis. And if you go back to the type, remember in Exodus, remember when the Israelites had wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness and then they were coming and remember who did who was leading them Moses right and then remember he was uh, because of his disobedience first time he struck the rock and then the second time God told him to speak to the rock and he did what struck it twice so 
the abundant water still flowed out, but he was disobedient, so he was not allowed to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And who took his place? Joshua. So when they got up to the time they were going to go into the land and take possession, remember, because the Israelites have an earthly inheritance. They were offered the heavenly inheritance when Christ came the first time. What did they do? They rejected it. So then that offer was taken and given to the church, who we also find out is a combination of saved Gentiles and saved Jews. The partition wall has been broken down, right? That's the mystery, that we are both joint heirs or can be joint heirs with Christ. And there is where there is neither Jew nor Greek or Jew nor Gentile. But in the instance in the Old Testament, they were going toward their earthly inheritance. We are supposed to be focused on our heavenly inheritance. So what did Joshua do before they decided to just barge in there and take over the land? He selected 12 elders, right? And he told them to do what? They were supposed to go up a certain way, right, up into the mountain, which mountain in Scripture signifies a kingdom, right? And they were supposed to search out the land. And then they were supposed to bring back word to the people and teach them about what the land was and how they were defeat the en- they could defeat the enemy and all and all those things, right? Well, who would be those twelve elders in today's times? The leaders of the group, right? Pastors and teachers, right? elders in the church. <clears throat> so basically, the main thing that pastors and teachers not the only thing. Main thing pastors and teachers are supposed to do is prepare their, teach their people how to properly engage in the battle and strive lawfully. Remember Jude, verse 3? Was it verse 3 in Jude? <clears throat> strive, striving, but you've got to strive according to the rules. In, in most churches today, is that being done? So does most, most Christians have any understanding of the word of the kingdom in Scripture and the kingdom truths in Scripture? See, so can they engage and strive lawfully in the battle? <laughs> no, because their leaders, the elders, like the ten, ten elders or ten spies that brought back the evil report, Yet most pastors and teachers don't haven't gone up the certain way, have they? They haven't gone up the certain way into the mountain and observed all that. So they have no understanding of the kingdom truth, so they turn around, they can't teach the people those things. <clears throat> See, so when in the Old Testament type. They had to go up a certain way into the mountain, and then they traversed the kingdom all over, right? And then they were supposed to bring back that report. So that would be the same as pastors and teachers today traversing this book, 
the word of the kingdom from front to back, comparing scripture with scripture, and then turning around and teaching the flock. Remember, the proper shepherding that Alan was talking about in his previous messages before we got into Mark. So that's why most of the time Christians today don't know how to engage or strive lawfully in the battle because they haven't been taught. But for us as believers in this church who get to hear that type of teaching, you still have to get in this book yourself right? and traverse it all through their comparing spiritual things with spiritual because that's the only way you can acquire the knowledge all the things this armor that's talked about here right so let's go back and focus a little bit on the armor and then we'll bring it to a close verse 13 therefore take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day or this is this day evil that we're living in right now. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. You've got to sincerely and with truth engage in the battle. And having your put on the breastplate of righteousness, righteous living, right? What's the wedding garment made up of? The righteous acts of the saints. It's plural in that verse. And having shod your feet with preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation you got to properly understand both aspects of salvation. Just like Jerry was talking about in Sunday school, that aorist tense, present tense, perfect tense. Remember, there's a past salvation, that point in time, that punctiliar, that aorist tense, where you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you were saved, just like the Philippian jailer did in Acts. Then there's a present tense, that linear, ongoing. That's your salvation of your soul, which every day you have to engage in the battle and strive lawfully, play according to the rules. And then there's that future salvation after the adoption, which Jerry also spoke about, where you're, if you've been determined at the judgment seat of Christ to have overcome, you will be adopted and given a sonship status. Remember, there's two different words. You know, a lot of times in the, in the English translations, they'll say children. We're all children of God. That's technon. I think Mark brought that out in his message last week. And then there's the weos, actually son. You'll be adopted as son, and only sons rule in God's kingdom. Right, So if you've shown to be strive lawfully and overcome in this, this life, then you will be adopted as a son and you'll get to rule and reign with Jesus Christ in his coming kingdom. 
Once again, I'll read that phrase again. It sort of jumped off the page at me when I was doing some reading. There can be no future occupation of the land. And what land are we going after? Remember, the Israelites were going after that earthly land, the promised land as we refer to it. We're going off that heavenly land. There can be no future occupation of the land apart from a present warfare against the enemy. If you don't, if you won't engage, if you, we'd like to talk about leaving it all on the field when I was playing. But if you're just sitting on the bench, if you don't get in the game, if you don't want to engage in the battle and do it lawfully or play according to the rules, that's the only way. So you say, well, how do we pay it forward? You got to get in the game. You got to engage in the battle, and you got to engage in the battle against the right foe. All right? So I'll just say, I know it's an election year, and I've got a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ that, you know, I see them posting stuff on Facebook. They're good. You know, I've known them since high school and college, and they're all involved in this and that and, and everything and trying to make this world a better place, right? We need to get this guy elected so we can make this place better. What's the old hymn say? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. We're not supposed to be exerting all this effort like Jude was saying. Epigonismi or whatever it says in the Greek. You know, agonismi, but it has the epi in front of it, but you leave the eye off because it starts with a vowel. And so it actually it heightens that. You've got to strive with every muscle and fiber in your being in the heavenly battle against that heavenly foe. You've got to fight the fight, good fight of the faith said in Timothy. And that fight in Timothy that Paul said to Timothy is the same agonizomai as in Jude 3. It's just, like I said earlier, Jude has the epi in front of it, intensifies it. You got the fight, the good fight of the faith. It's articular. So if you're going to Sit in the stands and spectate. <laughs> you know, if you don't get off the bench, get in the game and strive with every fiber of your being and strive according to the rules, then we're not going to, in the future, occupy that heavenly land. So when I'm up here, I'm preaching to myself. Because, like I say, it's a daily battle, and nobody has arrived. <laughs> you know, like the farmer said there in Luke, remember? Man, I've got all this stuff. I'm just going to sit down and take it easy. All right? But did Ruth ever retire? Remember Ruth? 
How long did she glean? From morning to evening, from the barley harvest to the wheat harvest or vice versa or whatever, she did it. There's no retirement in your spiritual warfare. I know a lot of good men that have served in the service, like my two fellow Bereans over there, and I know there's a lot of probably other men. I just know Mark and Don both serve. That you can retire out of your the you know United States Air Force or Army or Navy for in Don's instance, but there is no retirement out of the spiritual battle. If you're going to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you got to fight all the way to the end. And you got to do it lawfully. Thank you all for your attention. Let's bow our heads and we'll close in a little word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to come together as a group of believers and to freely open your word and study it. And we pray that each one of us would have eyes to see and ears to hear and would engage in the battle and strive lawfully and look forward to that future kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.